Well, good morning. I want to join everyone else in uh, wishing you a happy Father's Day. And I'm excited about what God uh, has for us, what we've already experienced. I do want to uh, start today with some prayer. And I have some sad news to share with some of you. If you haven't heard yet, uh, a local pastor, Paul Baggett, uh, died suddenly this morning. He's a pastor, well, retired pastor of Living to Go Church. And his son, Clay, is one of my closest friends. So I was with them this weekend at the hospital, and that news came today. So as we are celebrating today, just we know another faith community is in deep grief. Uh, and so I want us to pray for that church and that family. But that also makes me mindful of the fact that for a lot of you, Father's Day is kind of tough. You know, I see Beth's family is here in the second row. My mom's here. Both Beth and myself, we've lost our fathers. This is my 10th Father's Day without my dad, and her dad's passed away too. So, um, you know, bittersweet memories. We, we have wonderful dads, and we thank God for them, but uh, miss them dearly. But we will see them again, and you will see your fathers again through Christ. Christ makes that possible. So... I wanted to pray for that community and pray for you before we jump into today's message. Let's go to the Lord. God, uh, you are great and greatly to be praised. And we know this whole father issue, none of us have it perfectly, but yet you are the perfect father. So we pray grace and strength to every person here who may be in any measure of grief. We do pray for living to go church in Goodlettsville. That God, as their associate pastors are ministering now, Lord, let your healing and your grace be there. And be with Clay and uh, Paul's other two sons as they grieve their father's departure. And just, uh, Holy Spirit, bring the kind of comfort only you can bring. And God, as we talk today, I, I just pray that uh, your will would be done in this message I want so much to clearly communicate your heart with truth and grace. Uh, both of them are so important. So we love you and we praise you. We glorify you. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone who agrees with you say amen. Amen. Well, you know, in the past I have kind of been critical of Mother's Day and Father's Day on a Sunday. I know that sounds terrible. I have a great mom and great dad. But I, my, my thinking was... You know, every day is Mother's Day, right? Every day is Father's Day. And it seemed almost like American capitalism had gotten us all, had forced us on a certain day to buy gifts for, her mother, for our mothers and fathers. Now, is that not a cynical view? There, there's a cynic in me the Lord's had to redeem. So I had kind of this bad attitude and said, well, it's just a hallmark holiday and so forth. Well, there was some immaturity in that view. And obviously the Bible says it's a good thing to give honor to those who need to be honored. So simply put, it's good to have a Father's Day and a Mother's Day. But in recent months, and just here in the last two to three years, I have seen that the need for Father's Day and Mother's Day is a spiritual need now. Because it's very important that we who believe in the Scripture publicly proclaim and focus on God's plan for each gender. And so back in May, we, we discussed things about Mother's Day. And now today, we want to focus on you guys. And I agree with what Matt said, that this is not just for those who have bio biological children. That's why today I want to talk to you about biblical masculinity. Biblical masculinity. This is a 
hugely important subject. Now, I, I could spend 10 minutes here giving you all types of cultural examples of how there is a lack of distinction between the genders in our culture today. And today, the focus is not on gay behavior or homosexual behavior. That's not the focus here. The focus is a lack of distinction and a celebration of that lack of distinction between a male and a female. And there's some, some significance to that, some spiritual significance. I just pray that you'd have an open heart and an open mind. And I want you to be at ease because um, I want to deliver this in a thoughtful way, not in an intimidating or immature way. So I, I want us to have open hearts and open thoughts about this. This is really important because God is very distinct and God is very intentional and God has a plan for each particular gender. And so today he has a very distinct plan for masculinity. In its most basic term, masculinity means the act of being a male, the act of being a male. And I want to discuss what that isn't before I discuss what that is. A, few, a couple of years ago, Deborah Jackson, our operations pastor, told me, she said, Aaron, do you realize that you qualify every statement you make before you actually make the statement you want to make? And I do that because I try to anticipate what the argument's going to be before the argument. Now, that is very irritating in personal conversations. You can ask my wife, you know, it, it means I kind of go around the mountain before I get to the place of destination I want to be. But when it comes to making a point, I think this will be helpful. And I just want to, to say, first of all, that I understand that there is some limited biological realities that make gender identity very difficult for some. More wide scope, wide, a wider scope is there are um, environmental factors that some people are having a gender identity problem because of something that has happened to them. And so they haven't necessarily chosen to, to have a gender identity issue. And so for those in the category, we, we want to be graceful and we want to be mature. We don't want to belligerent people when they're on a journey. But we as God's people, our standard comes from the scripture. And we want to see God's truth. And I want to... Uh, remind you today that masculinity is not something that develops in culture or is defined by culture. Masculinity was God's idea and it was God's design. He's the one who came up with that. And that's my first observation. God designs masculinity. It's important to understand this because in other cultures, masculinity is defined differently. For example, there was a time in Europe not too long ago when blue, the color blue, was considered a feminine color. Simultaneously, the color pink was considered masculine. Now, in our culture, we know that, uh, of course, we're not real worried about that anymore, guys. You know, I have pink shirts and all that. But when it comes to identifying babies, they'll have the pink room for the girls and the blue room for the boys. And that was flipped in a culture not too long ago. We know that in, in different parts of Eastern Europe, the men still kiss each other on the cheek, and that's not considered feminine. That's a masculine expression. Not so much with us here. We know that in India, 
For what I've been told is that sometimes the, the men will hold hands as, as they walk. I know that certainly. I've seen that myself in videos in Africa. And so masculinity is defined from culture to culture. So here's the issue. Where does our standard of masculinity come from? Because if we don't have an objective standard, if we don't have a source, if we don't have something that transcends culture and transcends our opinions, then we have no guiding force. And so that's where we have God's scripture. And so let's go back to Genesis chapter 1. And I want the weight of God's word just to press and be impressed on your heart. Genesis chapter 1, starting with verse 26. It said, Then God said, Let us, and the us there is talking about the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Spirit, make man in our image according to our likeness. And they will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the animals, all the earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his own image, he created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. Let's just pause there for a moment. And, and I, I want you to understand this. This is not a Mother's Day sermon, but I'll remind you of this. is There are feminine qualities within God. Though the scripture, the pronoun he, we know that that, that description of a male pronoun is the dominant descriptor of God. There's feminine qualities in God. But today is not Mother's Day, it's Father's Day, so we're talking about the masculine qualities in God. See, there I am, Deborah, I'm qualifying again, see? So, God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. I, I want to also parenthetically say right here, that's why any type of policy or government policy that tries to control population growth is unbiblical. There's no, there's no proof that the planet will ever uh, become too large. I mean, there, there's lots of land, lots of resources, so we shouldn't restrict. We should never restrict, as the one-child policy has done in China, as on-demand de, on abortions do here. We should never restrict life here. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls on the earth. So the God-given assignment to be fruitful, multiply the earth, subdue the earth is dependent upon the combination of male and female. Let's go back to the previous verse, verse 27. And as you see that, maybe you're looking in your Bible right now, you're looking on the version. God created man in his image. He created them male and female. So there's a distinct purpose. Uh, the separate gender genders are God's design. And this is our first standard. So we don't get confused by cultural messages. The blending of the genders, the, the distinctions that are ending. Now, male and female do have many common things, and, and many common things, many things that are complementary. They, they are the same species in many ways, but there's a distinction. There's a difference. And that difference comes from God and his plan for them. Now, the problem we've had in America is we've had a feminine version of Christianity that goes all the way back to the 1800s. In the 1800s, uh, the thought in America was this, the man will only provide and the woman will just stay and take care of the home. And she'll take care of the home and she'll take care of the education of the child and she'll take care of the spiritual development of the child. And so it was in the early 19th century that some of the great evangelists like D.L. Moody, 
and Billy Sunday begin to push back against this incorrect mindset and say, no, men, it's not just the lady's responsibility. It's not just the female's responsibility to raise a child spiritually or to educate a child or to oversee the child's spiritual development. In fact, biblically, the male has a unique, special role in that. And so since that time, ministry distinct to the male, the, the male person has, has, been, has developed. And some of you may remember the full gospel businessmen. That was a little bit before my time. I do remember the promise keepers. These are things that are distinctly designed for men. Not to be exclusive. Not because men are more special than women, because that's not the case. Not because men are better than women, but because men have a distinct role given to them by God, assigned to them by God, that God is the one who came up with this. I mean, preachers and and pastors and spiritual leaders were not trying to engineer this for church growth purposes and say, let's get the men involved. That'll grow the church. It goes way beyond that. It is a call from the beginning. A call to masculinity, a call to be a man. So if our standards of masculinity change from culture to culture, era to era, time to time, then what is the standard? Guys, listen, I want to remind you of something, a simple, profound truth, that there is one standard of masculinity. There's only one man who's ever lived on this earth without error, without sin, without deceit, without being a wrong example without messing up and having to go correct his mistakes. That's Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the ultimate example of masculinity. So here's the deal. And this is kind of good news for me. Good news is this, is that going to Gold's Gym two hours a day and getting your biceps and triceps going is not the definition of masculinity. Can someone else say amen to that? Is anyone else with me? Thank God. This kind of macho, bravado kind of deal. I don't know what that is today. Back in the early 90s when I was in college and stuff, we put our hat backwards, you know, and be like, yeah, you know, that's kind of the cool macho bravado. Did you do that, Kevin? Am I right on that? Yeah, come on. You know, you get your hat backwards and you're thinking you're cool and all that. All that is not the sign of masculinity. So, so whatever that is defined for you. We, we have all types of definitions of masculinity that will change. But the standard of masculinity is Jesus Christ. He is the standard. He is the ultimate man. He's the ultimate male figure. He's the ultimate example. And that's made clear in 1 Peter chapter 2. There's so many scriptures where we can see this. But 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 21, says, For you were called to this, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you should follow in his steps. Going on to 22, it says, He did not commit sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. And guys, you know, we naturally are full of deceit. We really are. First of all, we always lie about how good we were at sports back in junior high and high school, right? All right? And remember, we always exaggerate how great we were. Uh, we, we tend to have deceit when we're trying to close a business deal or close the sales. Sometimes we have deceit when we're talking to the opposite sex and we're not really authentic and being godly in that interaction. You know, we have deceit within us. We deceive ourselves. And often that macho bravado thing is a mask that's masking 
either insecurity or sin. Jesus has such a greater example for us. Jesus has such a greater example because he was sinless. Because he had no deceit within him. He will never deceive us and he will never be an incorrect example. Jesus will never disappoint us. We won't find out like I have about some of my mentors. And you found out about some of your mentors. Especially those that we don't know. We, you know, we have those mentors from afar, whatever, Cal Ripken's my baseball mentor or whatever it is, or uh, uh, a historical figure is my, is my hero. And then we find out information about them that disappoints us because they're sinners just like we are. Not Cal Ripken. Ripken. I don't know if he's a sinner. I'm not accusing Cal of anything. Just in case you're listening to my podcast right now, Cal, there's nothing personal. But the, you understand is that... that Man will disappoint us, but Christ will never disappoint us. Look, one more, look at that scripture one more time in verse 22. 21, excuse me. You were called to this because Christ suffered, leaving you as an example so that you should follow in his steps. You know, as I looked at this subject of masculinity, I realized I could do a whole series on this. But, but today I want to scratch the surface on this. And here is a biblical definition of masculinity. Let me just give you four words real quick. This is kind of the sermon within the sermon. First of all, masculinity means you're a leader. Let me tell you something, guys. What, what we do is we lead. We get the job done. We solve problems at work. We solve problems in our family. We solve problems in relationships. We lead. And every man is called to be a leader. It's our God-given assignment to lead. And the enemy wants to do everything to suppress your leadership potential. The enemy wants to keep you from leading the way God wants you to. But we're called to solve problems. We're called to initiate change. We're called to be change agents. We're called to do something significant. We're called to love. We're called to love our spouses, to love our children, our grandchildren, to love our nieces and nephews, to love our churches, to love our community, to love our city. To love the places God's called to us. To even love the companies we work for. We're called not to be cynical and distant and negative. But to engage with our hearts. And we're called to be protectors. I love that. The, the history of the world. Men have always protected through militias and armies. And they protected the land. And they protected the honor of, of their family. Or protected the honor of their nation. And though I think most wars are senseless. And I'm not for war in any way. There is something instinctive that causes a, ne- a man to protect his territory. And so we're called to protect. Not just through, uh, I guess, physical conflict. But we're called to protect our family from sin, from wickedness. As leaders in the church, as elders, as teachers, as 242 leaders, we're called to protect the church from false doctrine, to protect the church from false prophets, to protect the church from thoughts and ideas that oppose the will of God. We're called to protect. That's why if the ship goes down, there's something instinctive in us that says the women and the children get on the boats first. That we do that because we're protectors. It's because that's what God's called us to be. And there's scriptural evidence all through this. We're called to be providers. In this day and age, we know that providing is often both, both people in a marriage. 
And you've heard me say this many times. I think a woman should get paid just as much as a man. I think those days should be over. I think women should have opportunities in education. And, you know, it's okay if, if your wife makes more money than you. That doesn't mean you're not a provider. A provider means this, is you're watching over your family to provide what they need. You're watching over the finances. You're watching over your, your home to make sure your home is a good place. You're watching over the culture of your family. You're providing an atmosphere for your family. You're providing their physical needs. And you're providing not just what they want, but maybe sometimes you're providing the no to what they think they want. You are providing a culture and you're creating a culture in your family because God's called you to be a provider. So that is who we're called to be, men. But unfortunately, the story of history has not been this beautiful or been this, this exactly what Christ has called us to be. It hasn't been those list of words you just saw. Because mankind and the male, the male has oppressed women and children and oppressed each other throughout history. Often the story of history has been the abuse a man has given to a woman, treating her like property instead of a coherent in Christ, treating her with no respect, abusing her, and a man should never, ever hit a woman. A man should never, ever verbally abuse a woman. That is, that is completely counter to what God wants. The story of history has often been sexual abuse as man and the male has taken advantage of the female. The story of history has been the male who is in a position of authority, taking advantage of the poor and keeping the poor in cycles of poverty that doesn't please the Lord. So here's my second observation, and it's an important one, is that masculinity without holiness can be destructive. Masculinity without holiness can be constructive. So it is that just because we have a God-given assignment to be masculine doesn't mean it always goes well for us. Because if we're not on the path of holiness, if you walk off that path, things get destructive very, very fast. The same man who has the ability to protect and to lead and to provide and to love, also without Christ and his Holy Spirit, has the same ability to destroy, to oppress, to hurt, to damage. That's why, guys, the greatest gift that we can give our family, the greatest gift we can give our community, is our personal holiness. What do I mean by holiness? It means a heart that is connected with God. It doesn't mean that you're never going to be, be without sin. You're never going to make a mistake. But you have a heart that is after the things of God. You're seeking God. You're after Him. You're saying no to sin and yes to God's presence on a regular basis. And so that's the pathway He has for us. So I love this scripture that in Romans chapter 13, verse 14, it says, Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And make no plans to satisfy the fleshly desires. Some of you guys remember in high school and college that, that we could come up with some great plans to do wrong. We, we could come up with a great, great scenario to trick our parents or to trick our teachers and trick our coaches and to satisfy the fleshly desires. And the Lord says, instead, don't make plans to sin. Don't sneak around. 
Quit trying to deceive people. Quit trying to trick people. Make no plans to satisfy the fleshly desires. One of the older versions says, make no provision for the flesh. But instead, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Get active. Get intentional. Get excited about your relationship with Christ. And put on his qualities. Put on who he is. Walk in the pathway of holiness, which is fellowship with Jesus. Because without that, without a relationship with Christ, without a vibrant pathway of holiness, what is meant to be good in masculinity can be destructive. That's not God's will. Listen, Jesus wants you to live out the greatest challenge ever given to anybody. The greatest challenge that I know of comes out of Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. It says it this way. Husbands... And we'll expand that definition, as Pastor Matt has said earlier, to, to all males in your role. Husbands, love your wives or love your community just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Do you realize the ramifications of that challenge? Unbelievable. The standard, guys, is high for us. But we have a God who doesn't just give us a high standard and leave us alone. His power and his anointing and his partnership and his leadership gives us the ability to be the men of God we can't be on our our own. Masculinity is not defined by culture. It's defined by scripture. It's defined by Jesus and his character. And it's defined by Jesus and his call. We're called to love our spouses and love our children and love the places where we work and love the homes that we manage and love the cities that we live in. And the same type of intensity and self-sacrifice and service that Jesus had. And that is a lifelong journey. I mean, every week there's somewhere we can improve in Because Jesus is leading us and his standards are better and his standards are good. And so our pathway to holiness is given by him. Here's the last thing that I want to say is we should celebrate masculinity with humility and grace. We'll just keep that slide up there for a couple of minutes because I want I want this statement to really get into your hearts. I believe that. The summer of 2012, our nation very much shifted. And one of the ramifications of this is, is this lack of gender identity. For us to be the church God has called us to be, we have to celebrate God's call to masculinity. But realize and understand, for us to be the church God has called us to be, there will be men, young and old, who will attend this church that are having a gender identity crisis. So we have a choice here. We won't back down from God's standards and God's truth. We will live out the biblical definition of masculinity with humility. Not in an immature way that mocks those who are struggling. Not in a way that demeans those who have had challenges we haven't had. But with God's truth, we will be an example. An example, guys, of masculinity 
God's ways. And we will do so not with the immaturity and the pride that we often have, but with humility and with grace. And I think the right tone for that attitude can be found in Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6 says it this way. Brothers, if someone is caught in any wrongdoing, and I would strongly suggest that our culture right now in gender identity, we have a wrong way statistically. You who are spiritual should restore such a person with a gentle spirit. Watching out for yourself so that you won't be tempted. Carry one another's burdens. In this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone considers himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But each person should examine his own work, and then he will have a reason for boasting in himself alone and not in respect to someone else. So, guys, and put that statement back up. Let us be people who celebrate masculinity. Because unfortunately, our culture is celebrating a lack of distinction right now. Our culture is celebrating a blending of the genders. But we want to celebrate the uniqueness of the male and the uniqueness of the female. But we'll do so not out of fear, this kind of anxiety, oh, we're losing our country. So let's, let's, um, let, let's rally, rally the crowd and, and let's have this kind of bombastic statements that rile everybody up and no instead with a gentle spirit let's be the example of masculinity that God has defined in Genesis chapter 1 and as we do that grace and truth will come forth and I have good news to the men who attend the church at Indian Lake can I just say that as your pastor I am pleased and I believe God is pleased at the biblical example of masculinity in here. I thank God on Sunday mornings at 8 a.m. when I pass the little room in the back and it's full of men who are chapter by chapter studying God's word, hungry for the Lord. I, I am, my heart just is overwhelmed with gratitude when we don't just have the adequate amount of men who volunteered for our camp last fourth through sixth grade. We had more than enough men who said we're going to go and mentor young men. I'm excited when I see the men of our church serving and leading and going to intercessory prayer and going to prayer meetings and engaging in service. I see the men of our church in relationship with one another. I see the men of our church having a bond of brotherhood. And so I say, guys, we're on the right track. So I say, let's not be prideful and give pride and say, well, we're doing a good job. I believe the Lord wants us to increase the intensity, to increase the focus, to step up our game, to step into the role God has for us, to step into the place that God has for us, to go and to, to, to not follow that, that instinct to shrink back, but instead to follow that voice of God, to step into the call, to be leaders, to be providers, to be perfectors, the protectors, to to be people who love, to be the type of person God's called us to be. This is his call in our lives, men. And I see you doing it. And I say, let's do more. Let's do more. Because a day will come soon where we're going to stand before God. And the only thing we're going to want to hear is him say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Listen, I believe heaven's going to be awesome. I believe that heaven is going to have golf. 
And heaven's going to have fishing. And heaven's going to have football and baseballs to throw. And so it, it, we, we're going to have all of eternity to play and have fun. And it's not wrong to play and have fun here. Recreation is part of God's plan here on this earth. But I just don't want you guys to fear losing your time and losing your opportunity and losing your choice. Guys, this is our time. This is our day. We're never going to be parents again. We're never going to be grandfathers again. We're never going to be church leaders again. We're never going to have another opportunity. This is our life. This is our chance. This is our turn. This is our chance to shape the church and shape the culture. This is the day that God has made for us. It's the day for us to step in. It's the day for us to take the position that he has for us. He has us alive right now for a particular purpose. And he's waking us up to the things of God.